Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, February 20th by Dave Lee, our pastor emeritus. Today is the 13th message in our series entitled Acts, You Will Be My Witnesses. For more information about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending upon when you're seeing this. It's really good to be back and to be able to share with you this morning, this afternoon, or this evening. My text is Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. Let me read it for you. Now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manain, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This morning I want to talk with you about how God led Barnabas and Saul into this ministry and uh, how they responded to that call and what it means for us today. But the first question I want to ask is this. What is Acts all about? Now, if you've been following this sermon series, you have a pretty good idea. In fact, Rod, just two weeks ago, reviewed Acts and explained the outline of the book for us. Now, I want to summarize the book of Acts with a couple of verses from Acts chapter 10. So here are the verses. It's in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Okay, that's what Acts is all about. Acts is the story of the love of God for the world. In this story, the message of Christ for all nations spreads throughout the world. God lovingly accepts people from all over the world, no matter their race, ethnicity, language, social position, None of that matters. And here's the message. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Okay, that's the message. This message applies to everyone. That includes me. My sins are forgiven and I'm in relationship with him because I believe in him. Here's the early part of my own story. As a six-year-old, I believed in Christ and received him into my life for the forgiveness of my sins. I was at a presentation at our church um, put on by a Bible college. At the end of the service, the speaker invited anyone who would like to know Jesus to come to the front and pray with one of the students. I knew in my heart I needed to do this, and I was just six years old, but I knew in my heart I needed to do this. So I asked my mom, can I go forward? And she said, yes, of course. And that day, I gave my heart to Jesus. I received forgiveness of sins through his name. This applies to me. But it's about more than just me. It's about us. We are God's people who are forgiven and set free and bonded together in relationship with him and with one another when we believe in him. 
But it's more than just about us. It's about all nations. That's what the book of Acts is all about. It's the story of God's love for the world. Here's how the book of Acts begins. Now, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said this to his followers. And this is a text that we've heard repeatedly throughout this sermon series. It's in Acts chapter 1. Jesus says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Here's what the gift is. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will, re you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This smashes to bits small-mindedness. It smashes to bits any preoccupation we have with ourselves and our little world, our little world. It, it demolishes a limited vision of who we are and what we're about. It expands our, our vision to encompass everyone, everywhere in the whole world. Jesus promises these first disciples that in a few days they will be baptized. That means immersed in the Holy Spirit. That is that the Holy Spirit will saturate them. And when that happens, they will be a powerhouse. And that power is to be turned outward, not inward, just not the power of God just for themselves, but rather turned outward toward the world to fulfill the mission of Christ in the whole world. Here's their mission. They will be witnesses first in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is ground zero. This will be the epicenter of the outpouring of God's power through the Spirit. Like an explosion of energy, the power of the Spirit will then go out from there into the surrounding provinces, province of Judea. And from Judea, it will go to Samaria, and from Samaria to the rest of the world. Jerusalem will be their first primary mission field, their home base. This is Chilliwack. Being witnesses in Chilliwack is our first responsibility. Then the witness expands to Judea. Judea is the province where Jerusalem is, is located. So the surrounding province is their second mission field, British Columbia. Then there's an interesting shift. Next, they reach out to Samaria. This entails cross-cultural outreach. The Samaritans were their own people group in an adjacent territory. More than that, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along well. There was a ton of animosity between Jews and Samaritans. So Jesus mandated that they cross cultural and ethnic barriers, which means intentionally crossing over barriers of prejudice and hatred. They have to get over their prejudice. They have to get over it so they can reach out to the Samaritans who need Jesus. They can't let a history of animosity stand in their way. They have to take this step. Having given explicit instructions to cross over barriers of culture and ethnicity, Jesus then tells them, go to the rest of the world. This is what Acts is all about. It's about getting into the world, crossing barriers, reaching people who may not even like us. 
and going everywhere with the message of Christ. That mission is still with us today. That mission is fulfilled in the power of the Spirit. That brings us then to chapter 13. In Acts 13, a group of church leaders are gathered for worship and fasting. While seeking God in this way, the Holy Spirit speaks to them. It doesn't spell out exactly how. I mean, did they hear an audible voice? Or, or did one of the prophets among them share an inward leading? Well, we don't know exactly how, but they all had an unmistakable leading from God to send out Saul, who is later Paul, and Barnabas to fulfill God's calling to reach the world. They place their hands on them with prayer and fasting, and they send them on their way. This is the first international mission team. This is the beginning of the missionary movement. Now, our church here, Sardis Fellowship, we are part of this international cross-cultural missionary movement. Did you know that Sardis Fellowship was launched by a missionary couple, Dan and Judy Chapman? The Chapmans had been missionaries serving in Colombia, South America. They came back to serve God here in Canada, and they started this church in the mid-1980s. Now, when I was about 17, I went with a short-term mission team to Colombia. I'll tell you, it changed my life. This became a signpost experience in my life. It's the first time I gained an inkling that just maybe I might go into full-time ministry. When I came back, I wanted to serve God for the rest of my life. It was that impactful. We went to a city called Medellin to work with the church there. We helped with their outreach projects. And guess who the missionary couple was that we assisted? Yes, it was Dan and Judy. Fifteen years later, when I became the lead pastor of our fellowship church in Duncan, Dan and Judy supported Em and me with their interest and their words and their encouragement. And in fact, they're part of the reason why we ended up here in Sardis. So right from the start, this church has been committed to missions. Then, of course, we called a missionary couple from Bolivia to join our church staff as one of our pastors. That's Pastor Rod and Ann. Then, during my time as lead pastor, we sent out five missionary couples and individuals to serve full-time in Bolivia and Czech Republic and Malawi and Italy. In addition to that, we sent out short-term mission teams and, and individuals to Bolivia and Haiti and Armenia and Venezuela and, and Kenya and probably other places as well, not to mention tens of thousands of dollars sent around the world, and I could easily say hundreds of thousands of dollars sent around the world. Do you think that God is up to something here? I do. Somehow God has woven this international focus into the identity of our church family. Now, here's another couple of observations from our text, which is Acts 13, 1 to 3. That is Acts 13, 1 to 3. So the spiritual leaders of the congregation are gathered for prayer and worship, and God speaks to them and says, set apart Barnabas and Saul. Now, first notice this. This calling resembles, at least in some respects, the calling of the first disciples. Many of them, these first disciples, worked as fishermen. 
And along comes Jesus, and he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And immediately, it says, they left their fishing gear and followed him. This meant for them a whole new direction in life. In the same way, this calling, which is immediately embraced by Barnabas and Saul, means a huge change in their lives. Also, notice secondly, that the church fasts and prays, lays their hands on them, and sends them out. Now, think about it. These are probably their best leaders. I mean, who's going to serve on the leadership team now? Yet this church is willing to let them go. And this church blesses them in the pursuit of God's calling. The vision of this church is way bigger than just serving themselves. So Barnabas and Saul embrace a life-changing calling, and the church gladly blesses them and supports them in the pursuit of this calling. I like to think that Sardis Fellowship is following in that biblical pattern. This text raises a major question for us. How would you know if God is leading you to serve in full-time ministry or missions? How would you know? Now, by full-time, I mean, you know, paid, you know, like vocational ministry. It's what you do, you know, with your nine-to-five, you know, that's what I mean, and more, you know. It's like, it's where God has taken you to serve. Because we're all full-time, I'm going to come back to that a little later. So I just want to make sure we're clear on what I mean by the question, how would you know if God is leading you to serve in full-time ministry or missions? Now, for many of us, like me, it's a gradual awareness of God's leading. John Newton, he's the amazing author of the amazing hymn, Amazing Grace. John Newton described the leading of God in this way. He said it's a combination of desire plus competence, plus God's providence. So it's desire, that is, there needs to be a want to, there needs to be an urging, an urgency. There has to be a want to. Competence, there needs to be the right gifts, the right skills, the right abilities. So there needs to be a want to, and there needs to be an ability to, And then there's God's providence, which he described as a gradual train of circumstances. So through a gradual train of circumstances, God is directing our path and leading us where he wants us to be. That's how it was for me. It was desire, and it was a gift set, and it was a gradual train of circumstances. So, for example, there was this mission trip to Colombia, and then there was hearing a conference speaker, and then there were conversations with people that I respect. There was getting to know M. We met in high school in Ottawa, getting to know her and her burden for ministry. There was teaching a Sunday school class, and there was going to Bible college, and there was a ministry internship. All of these things came together to confirm God's leading in my life. M and I did not hear a supernatural voice through a prophet saying, set apart Dave and M to the work to which I have called them. 
Nothing like that. It was a growing awareness of God's leading through these experiences and conversations and desire and opportunity. For others, it's much more dramatic. Kind of like Isaiah. I love his story. In the, king, the, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. How would you react to this? Here's how Isaiah reacted. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When he saw God, with horror he saw himself. When he saw the, the holiness of God, with horror he saw his own unholiness. And he confesses his sin to God. And listen to what the Lord does next. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Sounds painful, but so healing. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Does he know where? Or what? Or when? Or how? All he knows is that God needs a volunteer. So up goes his hand. I volunteer. I'll go. God's voice is still heard today, inviting men and women to join in his mission to win the world. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? God asks. For most of us, we hear that invitation in kind of an ordinary way. It's desire and competence and a gradual train of circumstances which lead us into full-time ministry. For some, in addition to all this, there's an incredible moment of confirmation. Now, here's an example of that. I want to tell you the story of Alex and Andre Van Warden which I use with their permission, and of course, Alex serves as our office administrator. Andre was a, an intern on our church staff. He and I met regularly for mentoring meetings over the four years that he was a seminary student. At the time of Andre's grad, we booked an appointment to talk about his future. Honestly, I went into, the, into this meeting a bit anxious because I wondered if Andre was being led into pastoral ministry in a typical church setting. So I asked Andre a number of questions about his gifts and strengths, his passion and burden, and what people were saying to him. Following all of this, I tentatively launched. I, I said, Andre, as I look at this, it doesn't seem to be adding up to a 
traditional pastoral role. And I could tell from his demeanor that Andre seemed okay with this. In fact, he seemed quite happy, maybe even relieved to hear me say this. So I went on. It strikes me that your gifts would be better suited for mission work. I mean, what do you think of that? Andre was delighted. He told me that he and Alex had been talking a lot about missions and that this confirmed their own hunch. I knew nothing about this conversation they were having. I had zero knowledge of what they were talking about. So I went on. I told them about a mission I knew called Emmanuel International, which did relief work in developing countries, and they needed people with the combination of education and experience he possessed. I then told him about a friend of mine who had been involved in a water project in Malawi and how well suited he would be for that kind of project. Now, at this point, Andre is bursting to say something, but he is so polite, he doesn't interrupt me. When I finally stopped talking... He told me that just a week earlier, he and Alex had discovered Emmanuel International on the internet, had been looking with interest at the project in Malawi, and had been in communication with the mission about that project. It was one of those God moments. It was one of those moments where you say, wow. How do you know if God is leading you into full-time ministry? How do you know if God would want you to go full-time, where that's the center of your occupation? God has many different ways of leading us. He can use extraordinary means or just ordinary means. The key is really very simple, and I'm going to share with you the key. Are you ready for it? Here's the key to know whether God is leading you into full-time ministry. Pay attention. Let me urge you, if you are considering full-time paid ministry, to book an appointment with one of our pastors and begin the process of discernment. Seek God with the help and the wisdom of others. Pay attention to how God is leading you. So God has many different ways of leading us, both ordinary and extraordinary, and we need to pay attention to all of those ways in which God leads us. And he also has many different purposes for us. This will come as no surprise to anyone. Not all of us are called to go around the world as missionaries. Not all of us are called into full-time paid ministry. But all of us are called to fulfill God's kingdom purposes wherever we are. That is, we're all full-time. God has a mission for you. It may be right here in Jerusalem and Judea. God calls his people, wherever they are, to serve him in whatever they do. The, the question, really, that faces all of us is this. Have I surrendered my whole self to God and his will for my life? That's a question facing every one of us every day. Have I surrendered my whole self to God and his will for my life? Maybe that question kind of scares you. It scared me at one point in my life. 
When I was a university student, I saw a video entitled, What If I Get Eaten by Tigers? It was a humorous look at the excuses we give for not serving God. It focused on our fears. Some rational, most irrational. I had fears. Do you know what my biggest fear was? It was the fear of public speaking. Here I am. Most of us go through times when we withhold complete surrender. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Like we kind of hold back a bit from God. Times when we're controlled by weird fears. We think to ourselves, if I give complete control of my life to God, he'll make me do something I detest. So rather than surrendering our lives without reservation, we withhold a little bit of ourselves and we say to God, I'll give you this much and no more. We place conditions on our surrender. So we'll pray, anywhere, Lord. But we're also kind of thinking, except where I don't want to go. Anytime, Lord. But we're still kind of thinking, that's convenient. Anything, Lord. As long as it's not too uncomfortable. As long as it doesn't mean public speaking. This stands in such contrast to Barnabas and Saul, who immediately obeyed the voice of God, or, or Isaiah, who volunteered at God's invitation. God asked, who will go for us? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. That's an unqualified, unconditional answer. I will go for you. I will do whatever you want. It brings to mind an analogy I heard from one of my very favorite preachers many years ago. He described our response to the call of God in this way. He said, it's like God says to you, will you go for me? And you say, yes. And then he pulls out a contract and he says, sign the bottom. Now you've been taught well about contracts. And so as you've been well taught, you decide to read over the contract before you sign. But that's when you discover that nothing is written down. It's completely blank. You flip it over and you look on the back and there's nothing there either. And you search for it, but there's not even any teeny tiny small print. And you say, Lord, there's nothing written here. And he says, I know. And you say, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm signing up for. And he says, exactly. And you say, but Lord, I'd like to know the details. This could mean just about anything. And he says, true. Then he says this, you've got to trust me. Just sign the bottom and trust me. Now you're left with a choice. To trust him and sign or to distrust him and not sign. That's really the issue. Do you trust him. Barnabas and Saul trusted him. Isaiah trusted him. They didn't know any terms of reference, the place, the message, the mission, the employment conditions, the pension plan, but they knew whom they believed. Much later in life, the Apostle Paul, reflecting on his calling as an apostle of the gospel and what it has cost him, and it has cost a lot. The Apostle Paul, to say the least, lived a challenging life. As he reflects back, he says without any reservation or regret, 
I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard that which I've entrusted to him until that day, until the day of the revealing of Jesus, or perhaps the day when he goes to be with Jesus. See, that's complete trust. If you're still a little afraid to surrender yourself to God, here's some things that I've learned. I've learned that there is no more joy-filled place than to be in the center of God's will for your life. I've learned that there is no more fruitful place than to be in the center of God's will for your life. And I've learned that there is no more rewarding place than to be in the center of God's will for your life. I've learned that the most joy-filled, fruitful, rewarding place is to be in the center of God's will for your life. I have one last question. What might your week look like if you did fully surrender yourself to God's will? What would it look like if you said, I am going to surrender myself to God's will? I'm going to sign the bottom of that blank contract. What would it look like? What would your week look like? Here are three suggestions on how you might approach your week. First, think of wherever you are as your place of ministry. We begin in our Jerusalem. Think of your home, workplace, school, neighborhood as your place of ministry. Never forget, where you are is where God placed you. So first, think of wherever you are as your place of ministry. Second, Pray the Lord's Prayer often. So as you're viewing wherever you are as your place of ministry, pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Make this your prayer. Own this prayer. It recenters us as, as servants of God's will and his purposes. When we own this prayer and we pray, Our Father, that is my Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May, may your name be held holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life, in my situation. So, so think of wherever you are as being God's place of ministry for you. Then pray the Lord's Prayer often. Surrendering yourself to God's will and purposes. And then, live as a beacon of light. Live as a beacon of light. That means living our lives well. It means practical, everyday things, like being cooperative and caring and patient and generous and forgiving, just to name a few things. In other words, be a peace, person of peace. So wherever you are, that's your place of ministry. Pray the Lord's Prayer that you would know his will and purposes for you and you would live them out and then live as a beacon of light. That is, live as a person of peace and when God gives opportunity, a voice for his kingdom message. May God bless us as we seek him in this way. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the example we have of a surrendered life in Saul and Barnabas, is when they heard the voice of God calling them, they said yes. Isaiah, who without reservation said yes. 
And may we, without reservation, say yes. Send me. Whatever we fear, show us that we can trust you. And may we be used by you where you have placed us, as a beacon of light, surrendered to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.